Welcome back, everybody, to this Thursday edition of the Luke Beasley Show. Let's dive right in. Donald Trump made his visit to East Palestine, Ohio, of course, the site of the toxic uh, chemicals train derailment that took place um, and the outcomes of that we've been discussing, serious stuff. And we're going to dive into some clips. I'll, I'll say just kind of as a preview the speech we're going to look at from Trump is definitely defined as confused. He's very confused during this speech, attempting to, and I say that that's kind of assuming good faith. The honesty probably, um, or the honest way to describe this is he's being dishonest. He's distorting the facts to be able to criticize Biden in some dishonest ways. And a couple main points up front, just to kind of uh, add context and then we'll dive in. Up front, I want to say, I'm going to do a lot of debunking of Trump's arguments and kind of conservative arguments we've heard attacking Democrats as of late. That doesn't mean it's not justified to also hold accountable those who are currently in power. When we get to, and we will, talking about how the Trump administration rolled back regulations uh, that could have contributed to this and Trump's not recognizing that, that doesn't mean also we shouldn't be looking to our current leaders and saying, you need to respond properly. And criticism that has gone the direction of current leaders, Biden, Pete Buttigieg, all of that's perfectly good. I'm also wanting to call out the dishonesty of Trump here. So making that clear because sometimes a debunking of a dishonest attack makes it sound like all criticism is something I disagree with, which isn't the case um, here, but it is, and this must be stated, conservative ideology that tells us we should deregulate, we should leave everything up to the free market, and then we get situations where that very dere uh, deregulation allows for realities like the one we're seeing in East Palestine, Ohio. So that's the first point up front before we dive into the first clip. The second is even though we understand that Trump is doing this just for optical reasons, going to East Palestine, delivering waters, buying McDonald's for people, it doesn't mean those individual actions are bad. You can say Trump's a bad person, he's doing this for optics, and still I'm glad water bottles were brought, and I'm glad for the people who got meals bought for them by Trump at McDonald's. And again, we'll get to the specifics in a second here. That's also something I think that you should have nuance on and think, great, even if a bad person does a small or mid-sized good thing doesn't mean um, both of those can't be true. So with all that being said, let's dive into the first uh, clip here where he's trying to take credit for the FEMA response uh, to this, which is strange. That's what it is. This is really America right here. We're standing in America. Unfortunately, as you know, in too many cases, your goodness and perseverance were met with indifference and betrayal in some cases. Uh, Biden and FEMA said they would not send federal aid to East Palestine under any circumstance. They're not going to send aid. I False. thought that was a strange statement because I've been working with FEMA for a long time, four years, and they were great with us with the tornadoes, the hurricanes, and things like this. And it was a strange statement to come out, and they were doing nothing for you. They were intending to do absolutely nothing for you. J.D. and I spoke, and they said, they're not coming. They're not going to come. And I said, that's very strange. FEMA said, uh, specifically, this doesn't meet the criteria, and uh, that's horrible, and somebody has to do something for those people, I said back. When I announced that I was coming, they changed their tune. It was an amazing phenomena. The mayor and I were discussing that. It was They changed the tune. Um, yeah, so that's not... 
the series of events, um, or at least the causation there is definitely not substantiated. Um, with the FEMA response, the reason why they weren't able to go in in full or they weren't going in and responding to this in the ways that were being called for is because the Republican governor and the way that this is structured, local officials have to make a determination that uh, the situation on the ground is one that warrants FEMA. And so the governor was not declaring a state of emergency. So that's actually what you should be talking about if you're talking about FEMA specifically. Um, doesn't mean there's not criticism for also Democrats in the situation. There is, but here we're walking through the dishonesty of Trump. And then you get to him talking about the water bottles that he's brought. And they are Trump water bottles, apparently. Again, I say, even though having the name of Trump on a water bottle is unfortunate, not a bad thing that water bottles are there. But we're going to find time uh, to come back if necessary. If they don't come back and give you the treatment that you need, we will be back. Uh, the Biden administration should ensure that every family has the option of moving and homes and everything else until this thing is straightened out. Uh, I do want to uh, especially thank some of the incredible people that uh, helped us because we're bringing thousands of bottle of water, Trump water, actually, most of it. Uh, some of it we had to go to a much lesser quality water. <laughs> you want to get those Trump bottles, I think, more than anybody else. But we're bringing a lot of water, thousands of bottles, and we have it in trucks, and we brought some on my plane today. But to that end, I'm pleased to announce that we've helped coordinate the delivery of the water and bottled water as uh, well as the tractor trailers full of it. We have big tractor trailers full of water. I think you're going to have plenty of water for a long time. Man. All right. So you get the point on that one. And then something that's gotten some attention was just a strange moment where Trump said the mayor who was uh, behind him, Trent Conaway, was easy to find. I also want to recognize a man who has been working tirelessly for this community since the beginning of the nightmare. And uh, Trent, where is Trent? He's very easy to find. I also want to recognize a man who. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, and then finally, from this event, and then we have some other stuff uh, from this trip, him going on a bizarre tangent about Big Ten football. Earlier, or at least a week earlier, but uh, they decided to do it this way, and I guess it came from the top. And so we have to understand that. You know, it reminds me a little bit, I don't know if you remember when Ohio State wasn't going to be playing football for another season. They were going to sit back and uh, watch with the China virus or COVID, whatever you want to call it. And uh, I called the head of the Big Ten, Big Ten football. I said, you got to get this football open. And they were great. They responded, and Ohio State played that season. Nobody remembers that, I think, right? Does anybody know? You got at least one. At least one. You could be close. But by now, you still would be close, probably. But we got that open very early. And uh, you had a great season of football, to put it mildly. So that was a very great honor, the Big Ten. And that led to the NFL, and it led to most of the rest of football in the country. But you led it through Ohio State and Big Ten. The big man saved football during COVID. He brought it back for our viewing pleasure. Um, <laughs> and then we get to the McDonald's uh, part of this. And here is a little clip from that. And we're going to get the meals for the fire department. Hello, everybody. 
What's your specialty today? How are you today? Nice, nice to meet you. you. Hello, everybody. That's Hello. a nice, beautiful looking group of people. So I know this menu better than you do. Okay? I probably know it better than anybody in here. Uh, we're going to take care of the fire department. Okay. We're going to take care of the police department. And what we do is all the people that are eating. Right okay. So then buying the meals for fire and police uh, department members. And here's what's upsetting about all this. Um, Trump is actively ignoring a very present and important part of this, which is whenever he was president, his transportation department took actions that may have seemed to have, we can't know for sure in one particular instance, oftentimes, but likely contributed to what we're now seeing in East Palestine, Ohio and other train derailments because they decided to deregulate um, to save, to help companies save a little bit of money instead of proper regulations that would save, um, save situations like this or prevent, I should say, situations like this from happening. And he got asked about that and just said, no, 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 no. What do you make of Biden or rather Buttigieg's criticism of you pulling back rail regulations? Do you think you would have made no, I had nothing to do with it. I had nothing to do. I had nothing to do with it, he says, which is not true. Um, at least, again, I say individual instances, similar to how we talk about climate change affects general trends, more uh, things will be happening, more extreme weather events, all of that. But we can't point to one hurricane and say this was caused because of uh, climate change. But we do know that generally uh, these derailments would be less likely if it wasn't uh, for the Trump administration and his transportation department's actions here from Business Insider. The Trump administration slashed several environmental and rail regulations while in office, most notably rescinding a 2015 proposal to require faster brakes on trains that were carrying highly flammable or hazardous materials. Well, that seems to apply. Um, and then it talks about the Norfolk Southern derailment specifically. And then the Department of Transportation under Trump justified the rollback with a 2018 analysis, arguing the costs of requiring such breaks would be, quote, significantly higher than the expected benefits of the update. So he's ignoring that. And that's what makes this moment for him to look good in the press and visit and call out Biden for not being there. And why is Biden and uh, Kiev on President's Day, he should be here. And um, it makes all of that just that much more dishonest um, if he would recognize, own up to the flaws in his ways, maybe there would be more honesty there. And also, and we'll talk about uh, this more later in the show, it's general conservative ideology that has to be called out here too, that deregulation is the best policy, which number one is far too simple. In some situations, regulations are necessary. In some situations, they're not. But so much of the time, and in so many instances, we understand, unfortunately, after the fact, that if certain regulations were in place, the, uh, the situation that we're discussing in that moment or reflecting on would not have happened. And so we have to push back against that and recognize, while regulation is not always necessary, times there are absolutely unnecessary uh, regulations. The stance that sometimes, yes, companies are going to be inconvenienced because that will make citizens, that will make consumers more safe um, is 
a reasonable and justified cause to push for and the train derailment is a great example of why that is. Staying on the topic of the East Palestine train derailment, we talked about Trump's trip and his confused speech and all those different things. Now we get to his former friend, former Vice President Mike Pence, and his thoughts, and this line we've heard recently from a lot of people about Trump's, uh, Trump's about Biden's trip to Kiev, saying that he shouldn't be in Kiev on President's Day, he should be in East Palestine, Ohio. Now to me, and you can watch all of my videos and find out that this is my overarching policy, the optical stuff, the who's, where, when type things is so much less important to me than the policy and the positions they actually hold and the actions of their administration. You can go to every crisis. That doesn't mean you have good um, policies on preventing those crises. And so a good example of that is, again, go check my channel and see the last time I talked about how many times Trump golfed while he was president or talked about Biden and Delaware versus Trump golfing. And those things just really don't matter to me because I want to know what the administration is doing led by the president, not how much time are they spending here or there. doesn't mean sometimes, oftentimes the optical stuff isn't important. It is. But when we talk about these principled criticisms, the whole they should have been here at this point period in time is so much less important to me than what are the stances they have that will impact change in the subject we're talking about. So that brings us to Mike Pence, who was criticizing Biden on this. Um, and let's just say embarrassed himself. I would have gone to East Palestine before I went to Kiev. Let me start that over a little quiet at the beginning. I would have gone to East Palestine before I went to Kiev. I mean, it really is remarkable when you think about the fact that it's going to be three weeks since that train derailment and all the hardship that those families in East Palestine have faced before even the Secretary of Transportation shows up uh, later this week. It, it just is extraordinary. Well, they're blaming the Trump administration. They say it's the regulations yeah, right. that you peeled back right, right. that led yeah. to this lack of safety. Yeah, the same crowd that said that, that uh, Chinese balloons floated over our administration right until they admitted that they didn't. So, look. <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> Wait, what? No, they didn't. They they never walked back those comments. That's what happened. Chinese surveillance balloons did go over during your administration and y'all didn't identify them um, because the defenses weren't increased until under the Biden administration. And there, I don't even need to really break down what he's saying because he did it <laughs> so well. Number one, bringing up a second thing to criticize his own administration. Oh, this is the same crowd that correctly called us out for not having good <laughs> enough defenses against Chinese espionage. <laughs> um, and as a reminder, and then we'll talk about the specific Pete Buttigieg hasn't gone um, to East Palestine thing in a second. But first, John Kirby talking about their identification of these Chinese surveillance balloons that was not done under the Trump administration. We were able to determine that China has a high altitude balloon program for intelligence collection that's connected to the People's Liberation Army. It was operating during the previous administration, but they did not detect it. We detected it. Ooh. We tracked it. Bum, bum, bum. We detected it. True. Um, and so pretty much what happened was this Chinese surveillance balloon program has been around and it has now been recognized they've been flying these flights for 
a while now, including under the Trump administration. And now that under the Biden administration, I'm not saying it was necessarily Biden who went, we need to do this, but under his administration, the defenses against this exact type of, um, these exact type of actions was increased, uh, the defenses against them. And that's why this Chinese surveillance balloon that we talked a lot about and previous ones were identified. And then this one was shot down. And so Pence is absolutely incorrect there. And then even Fox News had to admit that the obsession about Pete Buttigieg that's been going on, including what you saw there from uh, Mike Pence, isn't exactly completely honest if you're not willing to also criticize Trump's Secretary of Transportation. And I need to say up front, in case you're just coming across my channel, this doesn't mean you can't say that Pete Buttigieg should have been there earlier. I think that would have been a good move because there was a lot of concern about the honesty coming out of the reports of safety conditions there and having the transportation secretary would have um, been a good response to that 100%. He now has visited East Palestine, but saying he wants to go, he should have been there earlier is perfectly fine. But the obsession over that is quite dishonest and a Fox News host had to outline why that is uh, right here. There is this political moment and there's been a lot of criticism of the transportation secretary, Politico uh, pointing out that uh, Buttigieg, Secretary Buttigieg will visit their uh, Ohio crash uh, tomorrow. Uh, quote, he's also expected to meet with DOT officials who arrived on the ground within hours of the derailment. They point out it's exceedingly rare for a transportation secretary to visit the site of a train derailment, especially one that resulted in no fatalities. And the reason they're pointing that out, it's, it's fair, that's accurate. And there were uh, train derailments in the Trump administration that actually had fatalities that didn't have a visit by Transportation Secretary Elaine Chao. Uh, but this seems to have some momentum about the administration and its hmm. reaction to this derailment in particular. Interesting. So the Transportation Secretary under Donald Trump, Elaine Chao, was not visiting these uh, sites as is being called for um, with Pete Buttigieg doesn't mean that Pete Buttigieg shouldn't as well, just talking about consistency here on the uh, part of conservatives. And it is not common for, um, and I should say there were many accidents. I'm sure at some point Elaine Chow visited one of these accidents, but he outlined that there were many she didn't go to. Um, and especially when there is not fatalities. Now, what's important about this is that things down the road could be caused because of toxic chemicals. So that's why it is important that more federal involvement happens. But just getting kind of a reality check for a second to realize why this is becoming a conservative talking point, the dishonesty of it, and then us as hopefully more honest and consistent political individuals can say, okay, we understand that. And also Biden needs to get more involved. Pete Buttigieg needs to get more involved and we need more uh, answers coming out of that situation. That's how this should be handled. Um, and I think a lot of people on the left are handling it that way, which is perfectly fair. We're going to take a quick break. Before we do that, um, please, 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 if you're not already, subscribe to the channel. It is so helpful. Um, show your love in that way. And we will be right back after this. I want to take a look now at a clip from Fox and Friends of host Brian Kilmeade realizing that, oh my goodness, maybe we should have regulation to protect consumers. And he would never admit to the wording I'm about to use, but 
the essence of the point that he's making proves that all, so many of the individuals he's been running cover for, the politicians he's been putting out propaganda for, have been wrong on a lot of these issues. And the politicians he's been bashing have been on to something. So this has to do with the East Palestine, Ohio train derailment. And he's realizing that derailments happen a good bit, unfortunately, and they don't all involve toxic chemicals like East Palestine, but derailments happen. And the way that we protect people and protect the co uh, prevent the costs that go into responding to that um, is through proper regulation of these industries, specifically with this, the railroad industry. And that is something now I guess he's on board with, but this exact type of action is something that Fox News and all the politicians they support will actively fight against most days. Take a look. Say is, uh, I, I knew nothing about these derailment numbers. I'm stunned by it. Mm -hmm. That we have thousands of derailments all the time and what, the, how costly it is and, and how they're not kept up and maybe the regulation needs to be there. I think there needs to be, uh, there's a widespread sentiment to have a, a look at the whole rail industry, what the lobbyists are doing and, and what the actual, I heard there were three people on that train of how many cars, T uh, 20 of which had chemicals in somebody it? Somebody at the front, somebody at the back, and Does that blow you away? I mean, I know well, that say is... Uh and the specific example uh, we've been talking about is in 2015, the Obama administration implemented regulations specifically with the rail industry to um, en enhance the braking systems. And under Trump, as well as other things, but that was one of the things, and that's applicable to the East Palestine situation. And under Trump in 2018, his administration, the Transportation Department, rolled those back because the savings that would provide to them were more significant than the extra amount of protection that would um, bring. And so that is something, and that type of ideology is something that Brian Kilmeade spends his life advocating on behalf of. And bolstering the messages of politicians who are holding that type of ideology. We've been told for so long for Republicans, deregulate, deregulate, deregulate. You trying to uh, get the government to interfere with the free market's horrible and it's socialism and uh, the government should stay out of the lives of people and companies and let the free market do its thing. The free market doing its thing gets us East Palestine, Ohio, um, more regulations to make people safer. And again, let me say this, I've said it before, but regulations aren't always good. You have to have a nuanced understanding of when are they good? When are they bad? But the oversimplified take we've gotten for so uh, long from conservatives is deregulate. We just got deregulate. There's in every situation, too many regulations. And here, Brian Kilmeade is realizing that's not the case, at least with the railroad industry. Absolutely. I agree. And that's why we need to um, have conversations about when is it necessary to interfere with the free market to make sure that uh, consumers are protected through proper regulation. It's wild to see this. It's enraging to see it because it really is admitting without explicitly admitting that he's been wrong the whole time in regard to so many of these talking points. The EPA, it's so bad. All these regulations with the Environmental Protection Agency are horrible and we should just abolish it. That's something we've heard from conservatives. That's an example of when the uh, government does things that gets criticized by conservatives that actually is focused on protecting us and protecting the environment, which protects us. 
and all these different things. Wild. Now, moving um, to one moment on Fox News where they admitted the point that I'm making in regard to Trump. Apparently, regulations regarding train safety were changed during the Trump administration. Uh, this particular railroad and others lobbied President Trump to dismantle an Obama-era rule that would have required railroads to update their braking systems. And uh, apparently the Obama administration had pushed for it to govern transportation of hazardous materials after about half a million uh, barrels of crude were dumped. Uh, but ultimately the Trump administration undid that and said the costs exceeded the benefits. Apparently, yeah, so when is there going to be a reckoning? You'll say it here because you know it makes sense in regard to this particular event. But when are you going to recognize, oh, maybe I've been covering for politicians who have the wrong ideology? No, it's not always socialism when the government protects its citizens. No, it's not always horrible when there's regulations put on our companies within the free market. No, the free market doesn't always by itself bring us the, be the best outcomes. Oftentimes, it doesn't. And just to give you a little update in case you're interested in getting away from Fox News specifically on what's going on in East Palestine as far as the EPA's response to it, the Environmental Protection Agency announced a sweeping enforcement action against Norfolk Southern on Tuesday, compelling the real company to conduct and pay for cleanup actions associated with the February 3rd derailment of a train carrying toxic chemicals in East Palestine, Ohio, quote, the Norfolk Southern train derailment has upended the lives of East Palestine families, and EPA's order will ensure the company is held accountable for jeopardizing the health and safety of this community, the EPA administrator said, hopefully, um, that's followed through on, and Norfolk Southern is held accountable more than just the EPA needs to and is getting involved in this. Um, but on that front, actions being taken, hopefully it will be uh, what is justified here. Hey, this is pretty fascinating. Ivanka Trump and Jared Kushner have now both been subpoenaed by uh, Jack Smith, who's investigating, uh, heading up the federal investigation into Trump. And now Jared Kushner, Ivanka Trump are involved in this. Take a look. The special counsel investigating Donald Trump's efforts to overturn the 2020 election has subpoenaed both Ivanka Trump and her husband, Jared Kushner. That's according to The New York Times. The Times' Maggie Haberman broke the story. She joins us now. Maggie, uh, tell us about these subpoenas. Sure, Jake. So as we understand that it is for both uh, Jared Kushner and Ivanka Trump, it is to testify before a grand jury in connection with the January 6th investigation, which encompasses not just the riot at the Capitol by a pro-Trump mob on uh, January 6th, 2021, but also Trump's efforts to stay in office. It's the special counsel investigating. So we will see what comes of that. But um, Ivanka Trump is someone who, and Jared Kushner, absolutely did not believe the lies that their dad was telling. Um, and so to get some information out of them would be so helpful from the perspective of someone who was very close to Trump, obviously, son-in-law and daughter, and both involved in the administration. But we're observing this from the perspective of understanding it to be based on lies, Trump's attempts to stay in power, causing January 6th with all those lies. And I want to highlight this now. And uh, I'm going to try to every single time we talk about Trump's claims that the 2020 election was stolen, that 
his team before January 6th, after the election, uh, hired researchers to look into six states. I think during my original coverage, I said five. It's six states and their election results that they thought were stolen. And they asked these researchers to find evidence and were hoping it would find evidence of the things they were claiming, that the election was stolen from Trump and dead voters voted and all these different things. The researchers came back to them and said, not true. That's not the case. They didn't say it this way, but what was proven through the investigation that even the Trump teams uh, or the researchers, the Trump team enlisted to do this analysis gave Trump the understanding or should have that he was lying the whole time and he continued forward with those lies. And so that is one of the many reasons that this investigation is so necessary because we had a president who lost an election as I've walked through a million times, but will continue to because it is so important and attempted to stay president, attempted a non-military coup and the whole time knew it was based on lies. It wasn't because he was deeply misled and thus did unjustified actions. He did unjustified actions, horrible actions, democracy, threatening actions, and knew he was lying about his justification for those things. It's pretty stunning. Just quickly here from the New York Times to round this out, former President Donald J. Trump's daughter Ivanka and his son-in-law, Jared Kushner have been subpoenaed by the special counsel to testify before a federal grand jury about Mr. Trump's efforts to stay in power after he lost the 2020 election and his role in a pro-Trump mob's attack on the Capitol on January 6, 2021. According to two people briefed on the matter, the decision by the special counsel Jack Smith to subpoena Ms. Trump, Mr. Kushner underscores how deeply into Mr. Trump's inner circle Mr. Smith is reaching and is the latest sign that no potential high-level witness is off limits. I hope that's the case and I hope Trump will eventually, even though it's been a long process, um, will help be held accountable. You may have heard guys that from other progressive shows like mine, um, that you're watching, that you're familiar with, that YouTube is making it incredibly difficult for independent um, shows and the ones I'm familiar with are also progressive shows. Um, to succeed. And because of that, I ask with every fiber of my being for you to go ahead and subscribe um, and share it. If you like the show, share it with people that you think would also uh, like it. Luckily, our show is still growing, which is wonderful at a pretty rapid pace, um, <laughs> which I'm very grateful for. But each person makes a difference and each um, person who subscribes makes makes a difference so please hit the subscribe button um, and you'll put a little bit of joy into my heart much more to talk about right after this welcome back everybody to the show today you might know is a day that ends in the letter y and thus we have another possible George Santos lie. It seems to be another lie from George Santos that is is vile. Um, so let's just kind of build this up and then we'll dive into this lie. We understand almost everything he's talked about has been dishonest, but to focus on the kind of almost stereotypically vile type lies, he said his mom was at 9-11 and survived, but also she died in 9-11, but then we learn immigration records show she's not even in the country during 9-11, and that all had to be a lie. He said he was a descendant of Holocaust survivors. 
no record of that. Says he's Jewish, no record of that. Um, and then he admits that he's not Jewish and said, no, 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 I was saying I'm Jewish because of X, Y, and Z, even though he's had written about him, described um, himself as, quote, proud American Jew. Um, so that was another lie. He said that he had employees die in the Pulse nightclub shooting. He said that he had a charity for dogs that doesn't seem to have been an actual charity. And then he said to a disabled veteran who had a sick dog that he would fundraise money for that disabled veteran. He raised $3,000 in that um, sick dog's, did I say sick veteran? The disabled veteran sick dog um, in the name of that sick dog and then left with the money and did not give it to the veteran for his dog and the dog died. And now we have, and I may have missed something, but you get the, the gist. Now we have him lying or seeming to lie. Can't know 100% for certain, but um, his track record would lead us to believe that he is, that he was involved in and gave to and participated in charities for sick kids. Eh, brutal. Brutal, um, as is said by me. Here from Vice News. Epidermolysis bullosa, or EB, is a rare and serious genetic disorder affecting the skin, so rare, in fact, that only a small handful of charities work with people living with the disease. People who work in this world, it's safe to say, tend to know one another. The person they say they do not know, except now by the reputation he's laboriously created over the last few months, is Congressman George Santos, or Anthony DeVolder, or... George DeVolder or Anthony Santos or whatever he was known by at the time. Early versions of Santos' campaign website claimed that he and his family, quote, engaged in helping children with EB. Organizations representing EB patients, though, told Vice News that uh, they have no records of Santos or his parents ever making any charitable donations to them or doing any other form of advocacy ever. Santos made the uh, EB claim on his website, the campaign website, as recently as November 2020, according to reporting from the Washington Post. In full, the claim at that time read, he and his family also engaged in helping children with epidermolysis bullosa through various nonprofit organizations across the country supporting children worldwide. They have been proud financiers of organizations that help these children in remote parts of the world where they are denied basic hygiene to care for their wounds. This was news to Brett Copeland, the executive director of DEBRA of America, the U.S. arm of DEBRA International, a global consortium of organizations working on behalf of people with EB. Copeland is also a past president of DEBRA International, lobbies on behalf of EB patients, and is familiar in his words with, quote, all the global EB charities. And here's a quote from old Brett Copeland. I was not aware of George Santos making any claim to have volunteered or donated to any EB charity globally. In our database and uh, general records, we have nothing showing any volunteerism or any charitable donations in his or his family's names. So that's that. Um, every time I think, number one, we've known everything or we know everything now. And number two, he couldn't get any worse. He finds a way to do it. And what's really fascinating to see is kind of how things change on his end as lies get exposed. He's kind of just waiting for one thing at a time and then he makes an adjustment. So the Washington Post has this article out 
and we won't walk through the specifics, but just to kind of see, found it interesting. Um, it's titled See the Evolution of Lies in George Santos's Campaign Biography. And it just walks through as these lies are exposed, how his campaign uh, website changes. And it shows you that he's kind of just waiting for one thing at a time to fall and he'll keep the other things up until they get exposed and has no shame apparently about this which is pretty dang stunning um so if lying to essentially steal money in the name of not steal money but lie about obtaining money from a disabled veteran and from that uh disabled veteran sick dog if that wasn't bad enough, then this should do it. And this should definitely convince you that George Santos is uh, historically, shockingly, stunningly, unbelievably, <laughs> inconceivably a terrible person. <laughs> well, it looks like we have another candidate jumping into the GOP primary. He hasn't formally announced, but... He is in Iowa doing speeches, a part of his tour going through likely states. He wants to start getting support. And then this is Republican Senator Tim Scott. And as I've said in the past, I love the people and the state, um, the people of Iowa and the state of Iowa. But politicians seem to have one reason they show up in Iowa for speeches. They're preparing for a presidential run um, is usually the situation. So with that being said, Tim Scott appeared on a Sean Hannity show and did what we've seen Nikki Haley do a lot, which is, I think I'm the best candidate, but when you ask me about the one other candidate in the GOP primary, I'm gone. I'm not going to answer that question. Um, and I'm going to do everything to make sure people know I'm not criticizing Trump, which is really sad to see, honestly. Um, so take a look at this, Sean Hannity, asking him about Trump and his response. In the ring, we know uh, President Trump was the first to announce that he will run again in 2024. But then you hear names like uh, Governor Sununu in New Hampshire, Larry Hogan in Maryland. Uh, you hear names like Ron DeSantis in, in Florida, uh, Glenn Youngkin in, in Virginia, um, and others. Uh, what are the differences in terms of policy positions that, for example, you may have with President Trump? Probably not very many at all. I, I am so thankful that we have President Trump in office. Frankly, the policies that we were able to pass from 2017 to 2020 were monumental. And thank God we went into COVID with a strong economy. We brought we'll continue with the clip. But if you think Trump's so good, he's already running. Why would you want to get in the race? You need to be bringing unique value to get elected, I assume. But it's this weird game people are playing because, uh, and again, I say I promise we'll continue with this clip, but um, in the Democratic primary, there are things that voters want. And often there's some kind of hardcore loyalty batches of the Democratic Party. There's some people who are with Bernie all the way. Um, but for the most part, people are looking and they're thinking, okay, what are people going to present and I'm going to support who uh, is going to fight for and support the things that I believe in, that aligns with me, 
the most on policy and on other issues as well. That is how it should be. Now, plenty of issues with the Democratic Party, plenty of issues with the primaries, all that. Okay, but just in a general sense. Because Republicans have this reality where a big old chunk of their party is just Trump no matter what. Not Trump because he has particular policies. Trump because Trump. Trump is the justification for the support of Trump. It's a cult. Um, they have to play this game where they think they can get the support of those people, but they know how much they love Trump, so they don't want to rub them the wrong way. It's not going to work. If they want someone who really likes what Trump likes, they're going to support Trump. You would have to bring something new to the table, and Tim Scott is clearly, if he decides to formally announce, not going to be that person. The unemployment rates for African-Americans, Hispanics, for women, Asians, all to all-time lows or the lowest since World War II. We passed Opportunity Zones, the my signature legislation that brought more than $29 billion back to the poorest communities just in 2019, leading to the lowest level of poverty ever recorded as a country. By the way, quickly, because he's making all these economic points, I've made this before, but lots of people are new to the channel every day, so to make it again. Um, the point of under Trump, unemployment got to record lows and uh, Hispanic unemployment, black unemployment, all the different numbers they cite is the same thing as me and Ben, producer Ben, going out and we're digging a big ditch for some reason. We're going to do a pool, okay? You ready? And I dig, actually just to flip it around so I'm not, <laughs> Ben digs 10 feet down, okay? Okay. And then he leaves and I dig one foot down. If I said and took credit for digging the deepest hole that we've ever dug in our entire life, that wouldn't be exactly fair because Ben did a whole lot of the work. It's the similar thing here where if you look at the way the economy was going, it was going to keep growing for a bit and unemployment had gone down a lot under the Obama administration. I'm not saying it's all because Obama. Um, we understand the economy is much more complicated than that, but they seem to have that basic of a view on economic conditions. And so then big changes happen and then boop, bop down a little further as far as unemployment goes, for example, under Trump. And so then they can take credit for the lowest this, the lowest that, even though it actually wasn't as significant as um, the change we saw under Obama and that we've seen under different presidents, definitely under Biden, obviously recovering from the pandemic. So understand the dishonesty of that talking point. I think the policies that we fight for as conservatives are the policies necessary to stop the Democrats from ruining America. So might, might we then find ourselves in a position where you know, maybe we'll have six, seven, eight, maybe 10, maybe 20 Republican candidates on a stage that mostly agree on what the governing philosophy and ideology should be for the country, what works for the country, uh, then where are the differences? What would the differences be, do you think? Yes, yeah, a great question, Sean. I would simply say this. What I'm learning on my Faith in America tour is as I tell my story as an African-American who was born into poverty and then a single parent household, the strength of my community, my Chick-fil-A mentor, who happened to be a white guy, a Citadel graduate from in South Carolina, he taught me that you, no matter where you're born, 
You can rise beyond your circumstances if you're willing to perspire because you're inspired by the American story. Leaning into that helped change my life. Bringing people together, black folks and white folks, not because of the color of our skin, but because we have one single focus. We believe in the goodness of America. I want to share with people why. So uh, a clear policy position there. <laughs> no, uh, I love that his story is inspiring and all that, but what would you be bringing to the table from a leadership and policy standpoint? You do bring a different story. So that is actually one thing I've talked about. Talking about your identity and your, your experiences actually matters in politics because it informs your political positions a lot and who you are and the leader you are. So I'm not saying that's without value, but if you're trying to appeal, as clearly you are, to people who have been or are currently supportive of Trump, you're going to have to establish yourself as a unique candidate, the word I keep coming back to. Um, and when Sean Handy outlines a possible Republican primary stage where everyone's just tooting the horn of uh, Trump or Trumpism or his policies, how would that benefit their campaign doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me and as a reminder this is what we saw from nikki haley who has formally announced when asked a similar question so if you had to delineate where say you and president trump differ on issues where would you start well first let's say in reference to whoopee um you know, the thought of me getting into the race makes the liberals' heads explode. And so I welcome it because it shows we're doing something right. You know, when it comes to what we're looking at now, listen to the first 20 minutes of your show. Look at everything that's wrong in this country and tell me we don't need new leadership. But the difference is we need new generational leadership. We have to leave the status quo. We have to leave this chaos behind. And we've got to start talking about the future. Okay. And then goes on and on and on. Doesn't answer the question, except for I'm younger. Why do you think you would be a better candidate? And Again, I say, there's so many reasons you could explain. Hey, start off with, you know what? I'm not the best that there will ever be. And I happen to like a lot of the things that Trump likes. And I'm doing it in this voice, so I can't be clipped. But <laughs> you're not going to get me saying I like it. <laughs> um, but I don't like whenever people attempt coups. You could just start with that. I don't like whenever people don't accept election results. How will you start with that? But they won't because... A majority of Republicans, polling reveals, think the election was stolen. So they have to do this game where I'm more reasonable for the reasonable Republicans, and I'm not going to say everything was horrible and stolen, but also Trump's the best and his policies were good. There it is. It's going to be a very weird time. The only person I see possibly going aggressively against him would be DeSantis, but even DeSantis has a very similar political style to him. So we will see. It'll be fascinating for sure to watch. Well, let's dive into it, guys. Let's talk about woke. Let's talk about the woke monster, a word that is used so often, and I don't think anyone, including myself, really knows what the heck it means, and uh, we're not going to get any clarification on that today. What we are going to do is walk through the most recent example of Fox News, fear-mongering about the woke monster, um, and this is the, just a second remaking of the political correctness stuff and we've heard this exact um rhetorical game played and it's just a way to point at something that 
exists in the sense that it means something to people. And if you define it, I can probably show you examples that match your definition, but doesn't mean anything in the way that it associates with political policies, actual political positions, and meaningful conversations we should be having about those political positions. It's just a distraction. That's all it is. Um, if you come across someone who you think is annoying on Twitter, okay, that doesn't mean we need to stop all of the uh, pushes for progress because you identify them as woke. With that being said, Fox News is now melting down over Legos because Legos have gone woke. Why? Because they got more diverse. They are just getting less and less uh, dog whistly, more and more overt in what they're saying here. Quick one. Say it ain't so. Now Lego, uh, Lego, excuse me. <laughs> Got me with Bogdan. <laughs> Lego is going woke. The company unveiling a range of new characters in the effort to be more inclusive. Lego says the new characters will promote diversity and understanding. Some will have anxiety issues. I don't know how you show that. One will have a missing limb, another Down syndrome. These are really important issues. Yeah. Do you want Lego in there? Definitely not. But what's so fascinating about this story is the divide in the country. Republicans think it's insane that they're forcing identity politics into Legos. Democrats are upset that they didn't make a drag queen stripper. They're like, you call this a children's <laughs> toy? What kind of set is this? No, it shouldn't be going on the way it's going on. But the reason they force identity into toys is because they think identity comes with a built-in political orientation. And that's what they're after here. I'm not having it. Wow. I, I just want to build, mm. like... I have one. I have a Lego set that builds the White House. Yeah, no. I'm I mean, important stuff, guys, being discussed on <laughs> the most watched cable news shows um, or the most watched network, I should say. So the anxiety thing. So there's a missing limb, I heard. Oh, anxiety. Um, and then just diverse in, in multiple different ways. I went and read into it. It looks like Lego also has streaming service you know shows that they have on streaming platforms um and that's probably that's my assumption where the change as far as anxiety comes in because yeah i don't know how you show that on a lego character you i guess could with a facial expression i don't know but probably on their uh shows there's going to be some sort of uh highlighting of that and then when they showed the pictures of the characters just like Okay, cool. like if that story came across while I'm preparing for the show so quickly, my finger would, what am I doing? What is this? What am I swiping <laughs> on a dating app? Not that story today. <laughs> Strange. Um, I would not talk about it and wouldn't even think about it. I would scroll past it if I was reading on a news outlet um, and it wouldn't even cross my mind to care in the slightest. I would be like, okay, <laughs> it makes sense that because we live in a world with multiple different uh, identity groups and a diverse batch of life experiences and capabilities, physical and mental and uh, ethnicities and sexual orientations and all these different things, that would be represented in representations of fake people, right? If we're showing you this fake Lego character, it makes sense that it would be different types of fake Lego characters to represent people. It's just so mind-boggling that they care and that that's defined as woke because God forbid there's something other than the bland yellow uh, typical characters. Aren't they often yellow? They are. Yes, they are. The little yellow 
uh, dudes. Legos are really fun, I gotta be honest. But mm-hmm. um, back in my, my good old days, back when I was a kid. Except when you step on them. God, they hurt. That's true. That's very true. Well, continuing with the conversation about woke um, and Fox News, you might remember we went over this, but another example of the deep, deep unseriousness of this network when it came to Xbox. Xbox has also announced they're going woke too, Mm. you know, because of climate change, Mm -hmm. that they're adding a new feature to their default settings. So if you own an Xbox, you can upload this new program and it will turn off after so long to save the environment, the power. Uh And also they're saying the energy saving shutdown feature is going to have a slower boot time. Ted Cruz writes on Twitter, first gas stoves, then your coffee, now you're gunning for my Xbox. (laughs) Isn't it crazy though? Like when we were kids, you were a rebel if you had like a leather jacket and a pack of cigarettes. Now you have like a full powered Xbox and you're eating pizza rolls on a gas stove. I mean, it's crazy what they're doing, but we understand what this is. It's not that it's actually going to offset emissions, okay? The level of reduction is infinitesimal, but they're trying to recruit your kids into climate politics at an earlier age. Make Mm. them climate conscious now. Gotcha, gotcha. So it's not to save power that would needlessly be getting spent when you're not using the console, but it's running anyways, and thus be saving you energy and uh, in turn money, not that much, obviously, it's, as he said, a small amount, but doesn't hurt. That's not actually what's happening. It's actually them getting your kids into climate politics. It's going for your kids. That's the truth of the matter. This is so dumb. And um, governor of Illinois called out Ron DeSantis about this type of thing. Um, this woke fear-mongering that we're constantly hearing. And so I want to add that into this conversation and then we'll continue uh, discussing, disgusting, disgusting. The truth is that we, we actually have a much better education system in Illinois than they have in Florida. We're ranked higher than they are. U.S. News & World Report ranks K-12 education in Illinois sixth in the country and number one among the largest states in the country. So he's got nothing to brag about when it comes to education. So, uh, so he moves on and tries to use this word woke uh, to describe everything. He doesn't even know what the word means and he has no definition of it. It's just anything he doesn't like is wokeism. And uh, all I can tell you is that I don't know what that means. And frankly, uh, what I can say about Illinois is that uh, we're a state that cares about equity. We're a state that cares about our families. We're making the investments that are required so that our youngest children will do better and better. Um, And I'm really excited about the direction of our state as opposed to a state where they don't make the investments that are necessary to lift up their education system or their healthcare system. Indeed. And uh, when you look at rankings of education uh, systems, K through 12, Illinois is ranked much higher than Florida. And I know what you're thinking if you're a conservative. <laughs> That's because they're probably ranking it based on how woke it is because it's a woke organization ranking at U.S. News and World Report. That's a woke bastion. Well, and it's written sideways, so apologies. It's based on college readiness, high school graduation rate, NAEP math scores, NAEP reading scores, and preschool enrollment. Math and reading? 
college readiness, high school graduation rate, preschool enrollment. Seems pretty, uh, pretty reasonable to me. And that shows us that Illinois' education system is better than Florida's, even though every day warrior DeSantis is fighting against the woke in schools, doesn't seem to be improving the actual education reality for K through uh, 12 students. And so that brings us to why I want to focus on this. Um, and we'll continue to have this discussion every time woke is brought up. Anytime you see something that's obviously, or you come to realize that it is a distraction, the clear and present question then is what is being distracted from, right? And so in the case of woke, in the case of our current political reality, the reason why individuals like DeSantis, Fox News, dedicate so much time to a made-up concept that really has no uh, clear attachment to our political reality today um, is to get people bought into right-wing politics in a way that... Uh, omits your actual policy positions that you'll actually be fighting for if they give you power. So you essentially trick people into giving you power to do things that otherwise they wouldn't support. Meaning, if the National Republican Party ran on a platform of vote Trump in uh, to office because he will cut taxes disproportionately for the wealthy, through that process, jack up the deficit, but again, it's not a deficit increase going towards uh, disproportionately programs that help the average working American. Instead, it's helping the wealthy get even more wealthy. And not much else will happen from a policy perspective, but he might try to overthrow a democratic process. Vote 2024. That's not going to be an effective message, right? But the woke monsters coming for you and your kids are going to be propagandized into believing that we should care about our planet. That's strange. Um, and that's why you have to put right-wing politicians into power is unfortunately more of an effective message for uh, certain populations of people. And so as long as conservatives, and I mean voters, are focusing on woke, are focusing on DeSantis fighting woke, they're not focusing on all of the ways that DeSantis isn't helping their actual reality, their actual well-being, improving their real life well-being. And it's wild to see people, and when I have discussions in my personal life, I'll get blown away by this, who their entire political identity is wrapped around people and ideas that will probably never affect them at all, in the slightest, even a slight bit, not even one single bit. It's about the kids getting propagandized. Are, are your kids getting propagandized? No, but they're going to. They're going to teach them to be woke. It's about trans people. And something about trans people is going to damage their life somehow. And then I'll ask specifically, how will that trans person hurt you in any way? And there's not a reason there. Okay, so that definitely can't be a motivator. And you go down the line. But again, I say, this allows them to have some answer other than, I don't really know, Biden, his policies are just better. Because Biden, meanwhile, and so many flaws with Biden, but to his credit, during the State of the Union, laid out all these different things that the Biden administration have pushed for that have been good for the lives of Americans and proposals he wants to fight for in the future. Republicans don't want any of those things. So how do you sell an agenda that is 
actively going to keep good things from happening for your constituents, you make a fake agenda. That's how. And that's what they've been doing. And it's pretty uh, stunning to observe. We're going to take a quick break and be right back with a little bit more on today's show. Ladies and gentlemen, Laura Ingram on her show, I think last night or the night before, did something that shocked me, stunned me, left me despondent for hours. I was so surprised. Obviously not literally. Um, she obliterated Marjorie Taylor Greene. She destroyed, crushed, <laughs> decimated Marjorie Taylor Greene. And it was beautiful to see. That's what we're going to talk about now. So you might remember, we've talked about this a little bit. Um, actually, a bunch of yesterday's show is talking about this. Marjorie Greene calling for a national divorce and then saying it's a national divorce, but we would still have one federal government, but the red states could do whatever they wanted. And we talked about why that is very absurd. But instead of me doing it again, Let's hear Laura Ingram out because she actually, as stunning as this is, someone who is usually right along with all these dangerous and terrible talking points, explained why she was against what Marjorie Green is saying in a pretty accurate way. I got to say, take a look at this. Marjorie Taylor Greene, a congresswoman for a few years now, has called for something akin to a national divorce. Literally, national Red states yeah. could choose and uh, how they allow people to vote in their states. What I think would be something that some red states could propose is, well, okay, if if Democrat voters uh, choose to flee these blue states where they cannot tolerate the living conditions, they don't want their children taught these horrible things, and they really change their mind on the types of policies that they support. Well, once they move to a red state, guess what? Maybe you don't get to vote for five years. Okay, well, I love how giddy she is when she says that maybe you don't get to vote for five years. So you're taking away the right to vote from people just because you don't like the way they're going to vote. Ma'am, that's not how democracy works. You're <laughs> you're getting a little bit goofy and fascistic. Well, first, a law prohibiting American citizens who've not committed a crime from voting would probably not withstand legal scrutiny. True. And second, how would this like a national divorce be good for conservatism. It wouldn't. Now, why would we want to embrace the states that gave us Jimmy Carter and Bill Clinton, but essentially give up on the states that gave us Reagan? Okay, well, when I say she's accurate, obviously she's still Laura Ingram, but we're continuing. And Trump. Imagine if Youngkin had given up on Virginia. I wish. Or if Republicans on Long Island gave up on New York. I wish. The last thing we need is an American breakup of any sort. Remember, True. a motto of this show, almost from the start, over five years ago, has been no state left behind. Just because it, it often seems like Democrats have given up on America themselves doesn't mean ever that Republicans or conservatives should. They Democrats have given up on America. They're just trying to let everyone um, suffer with their terrible policies that would give them health insurance and lower their prescription drug costs and fight to protect our climate for the future of their children and make sure they can unionize at their workplace and <sighs> laura come on you were doing so good they should not i'm certainly not willing to give up on the states that gave us sinatra john wayne or that welcome my grandparents from poland 
There are good, hardworking people in Illinois, in New York, and in California, Washington State, who don't want to move and who are looking for new leadership. So let's give it to them. Keep organizing. Keep registering people to vote. You know, get, get real about early voting. Keep making the case that liberalism is failing everywhere it's tried. So the general point I agree with, all of her jabs, her, dis, her uncalled for attacks uh, to my ideology are bad. But no, if some people on Marjorie Greene's side will call her out, that's good. I support that. Even if it's because we need to let the Republican Party take over or they're going to say they need to wait until the Republican Party can take over California and all that. And that's why we have to stay with these terrible blue states. Okay, as long as they're calling out uh, Marjorie Greene, because this is a dangerous, dangerous idea. And when she says it's not good for conservatives, this is probably a point she wouldn't agree with uh, my explanation for that. I agree with her premise. And then my explanation is different because the reason why it would be bad for conservatives is some of the stuff she said, but also the the coalition of red states would be in a disastrous situation when it comes to poverty rates based on the current reality of many red states when it comes to crime based on the current reality when it comes to education systems and all these different things and i don't want that for them i want the horrible intervention of the liberal ideas that allow them to when they come on hard times, have health care and unemployment and um, invest in their kids' education properly and all that. I want them to get that, even though they're actively voting against politicians who are doing that. Um, and so that's part of the reason that I'm so against some sort of national divorce. Uh, we are all Americans, and even though we disagree severely, and much of our population I actively communicate daily is working against our democratic process and threatening a very important part, the most crucial part of America, which is the democratic institutions, um, I still think and know the best path forward um, is as one. And Marjorie Greene disagrees with that, but somehow Laura, Ingra, Laura Ingram stumbled into the correct stance on this, which is good to see. Let me know what you think. Luke P. Beasley on Twitter, as they say. Super fascinating and important, partially enraging revelation coming out of Arizona. Um, Mark Burnovich, who is the former attorney general, it's being revealed that after the 2020 election, he, uh, his, you know, uh, Justice Department investigated the 2020 election and the claims that Trump was making, the dishonest and incorrect claims that Trump was making, and they found out that all of these things Trump was saying uh, were not true, and they kept it a secret. They kept the fact that they did that investigation a secret because Mark Burnovich, he doesn't fall into hardcore election denier, but instead the I think there's some questions, but I'm not saying the election was stolen and Biden did win the state, but there's some questions. He's that category. And so to keep up his uh, ability, keep up the facade of someone the MAGA base could still support, he kept this a secret 
and muddied the waters. And it is really wild to see. And Trump, I might remind you, uh, also after the 2020 election, got researchers to look into the states we recently learned. They found out also his claims were lies and he kept telling them and he kept that a secret. But here about Mark Brnovich from the Washington Post, now he's no longer the attorney general and the current attorney general is the one who made this public. Nearly a year after the 2020 election, Arizona's then attorney general, Mark Brnovich, launched an investigation into voting in the state's largest county that quickly consumed more than 10,000 hours of his staff. Uh, staff's time. Um, Trump is constantly saying, why won't people just look into the claims of election fraud? 10,000 hours just in the state of Arizona. And let's talk about what they found. Investigators prepared a report in March 2022 stating that virtually all claims of error and malfeasance were unfounded. According to internal documents reviewed by the Washington Post, Brnovich, a Republican, kept it private. In April, the attorney general who was running in the GOP primary, that's why he uh, was doing this for a U.S. Senate seat, released an interim report claiming that his office had discovered serious vulnerabilities. He left out edits from his own investigators refuting his assertions. So I think for the purposes of getting in the good graces of the GOP base was essentially lying, saying there's, okay, it's not a lie. Of course, there's vulnerabilities in our election system, but by lying by omission, we'll say, leaving things out purposefully that disprove Trump's claims and not speaking out against those claims for the purposes of his own uh, election prospects. His office then compiled an election review summary in September that systematically refuted accusations of widespread fraud and made clear that none of the complaining parties, from state lawmakers to self-styled election integrity groups, have presented any evidence, any evidence to support their claims. Brnovich left office last month without releasing the summary. And then it continues. But 10,000 hours of his staff's time extensively looking into all these claims. Found no and evidence. it found, and the next clip, clip I'm going to play is playing. Um, apologies. It found that the claims that Trump was making, the claims that Sidney Powell the released the Kraken person, um, that Rudy Giuliani with a melting face, all these people, those claims were not true. You and I knew that. A lot of Republicans, over 50%, I think it's 60%, believe the election is stolen. And at that time, I think it was even more, um, right after the election. And Mark Brnovich did not do his, in my mind, to use a word that they are very fond of, did not do his patriotic duty to make clear this is not accurate. And some things you choose not to talk about it for a political reason you should have. It's not going to be the biggest stain on your political record. This is everything. What is being a politician in our political process? What is being a representative or being in one of these positions of power? It is a position within our democratic process and thus protecting that democratic process, advocating on behalf of um, the truth about that democratic process is your number one priority. And he didn't do it here, which disgusts me. Here is an interview John Oliver did with Mike Bern uh, Mark Brnovich that kind of gives you a sense, just a little bit of a moment here, I'll show, of the line that Brnovich was going with. It wasn't, let me make clear, I looked into and my team looked into extensively these claims and they're false. The election was not stolen. He played coy with it. 
Take a look. That the election in Arizona... This is before all of the reporting we just looked at came out. Arizona was fraudulent or stolen from Donald Trump. Donald Trump lost Arizona, period. I've said that from the very beginning. The there question. have been isolated incidences thus far that we've identified yes. and we are prosecuting. Yes. We still have some active investigations going on, but people but can draw the their main, own conclusions. There is we, no, no, people cannot draw their own conclusions. There, That's the point of the law. Yeah, it is. The law is that you have facts right. and you have fiction. Right. The fact is the election in Arizona was well run, not fraudulent, and not stolen from Donald Trump, according to even your investigations. I, I have never said. Why is it, it so hard to just say yes to that? I just. Okay. So you get the point. Um, he'll go, I said Biden won the state of Arizona. It's the same game they play when uh, hosts or interviewers will ask election deniers. Can you say that Biden rightfully won and legitimately won the 2020 election and individuals who deny elections will go, Biden is the president. That's not the question. Did he legitimately, which he did, win the election? Is he rightfully the president? Biden's the president. And they'll do that on loop. Similar thing here. Biden won Arizona, and there have been isolated instances of voter fraud. Yeah, you mean like every election ever since the beginning of our democratic process. There's always isolated incidences of fraud. When millions of people vote, you're going to have some instances of fraud. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about widespread voter fraud, a coordinated effort to change the election results. That didn't happen. There was no chance of the isolated instances of someone either accidentally or purposefully as an individual going and voting at two locations or whatever it might be is not at all relevant to this conversation. And you bringing it into this conversation is incredibly, incredibly dishonest. Um, and now we know for sure he was sitting there in the back of his mind knowing that extensively, unequivocally, um, and undeniably, he had proven that, as John Oliver was saying, the election was not stolen from Donald Trump. And and I don't like using provocative terms like this so often, but it matters in this situation to say that he was too much of a coward. That's what it is. He was too much of a coward to stand up, be courageous like other Republicans have been, and be honest fully, 100%. Not just not be overtly dishonest, not just make sure he doesn't tell a lie on paper, but be fully and completely honest. That's what he didn't do. And it's part of the reason that we are in the place uh, we are now with the threat to our democracy. Thank you all so much for watching and listening to today's humongous jam-packed show. We'll see you tomorrow.